0: Everybody and welcome to The Kitchen Table. I'm Justin White. Sitting next to me is Josh Winner. We again are your amateur podcasters for this episode, episode 3, The Thinking Firefighter. Today we're talking about what is it to be a thinking firefighter? And this question kind of came up. We we often talk about being thinking fire thinking firefighters in our organization, but I'm not sure I knew what that meant. No. So, again, as with resiliency in the past, um, I wanted to know a def- definition of what, what we were talking about. I wanted to define it so I kind of understood what the goal was and what I was trying to be and what we're trying to be as an organization.
1: Yeah. Um, hey. So, first, are we not at the professional level yet? I don't think so. Like last episode and this episode, you know, when we did the introduction, we're like, we're your amateur podcasters. I think three episodes is pretty close to being professional. I think we're well on our way. I guess
0: technically we do get paid to do this. (laughs) There it is. So we could be construed as professionals. Uh, However, I don't know that the level of quality has reached professional yet. Although we are working with new equipment on this episode it sounds much better it looks like we know what we're talking about maybe that's the important thing so maybe professionals where we're headed
1: i I think i think so as well and you know whether we're at a professional level or not i enjoy doing this it's fun being you know kind of being part of this process so um anyway so back to the thinking firefighter i 100 percent agree um being the one of the company officers at station one i know that i use that term a lot and I don't think that when I started using that term, I want you to be a thinking firefighter, I don't think that I did a good job explaining what it was, because I don't know, I don't think I could have at the time, and it took a lot of work and effort and conversations just like we're having right now to um, really identify what that means. Um, and. So I think this podcast that we're going to do, this particular episode, it's a great way to open the door to that conversation in in the fire station. And if you're going to say to somebody, um, I want you to be a thinking firefighter, driver, company officer, or I am a thinking firefighter, driver, company officer, chief, um, we should be able to back that up with being able to articulate what that means.
0: In our interview with Lieutenant Brian Lynch... And driver engineer John Roy, JRJR, so the junior one, the younger one. We talked about being a thinking firefighter and what that really means. And we weren't too far apart. You know, we had some different ideas and, and because we're in different roles, we had different perceptions of what a thinking firefighter not needs to be. But overall, I think we're pretty we had pretty much a consensus with the group and understanding, one, what a thinking firefighter was, and two, how we could get to be that thinking firefighter. And, and I think most of us agreed it was through through training and practice.
1: Yeah, training, practice, um, expectation. Um, you know, I, I think the word expectation came up quite a few times. And, and that could be expectation that the firefighter has for the officer or officer has for the firefighter. And a lot of it comes down to relationship building between the two or the team because uh, you know the reality is this is a team sport none of us can do this by ourselves and that's why it's okay for each one of us or every one of you that's sitting at your kitchen tables having this conversation to have a different perspective of what it means Um, just because we have a different perspective doesn't mean that one's right or wrong what it does is it gives us the ability to come together and It allows us to come together as a team and uh, kind of continue to build that relationship that we have.
0: What I thought was interesting about this conversation is I walked in the door thinking, hey, this is a cultural thing. And I think to a degree it is a cultural thing, but I went in thinking it's a cultural thing and we've decided that we're going to be thinking firefighters because that's what we want to be as an organization. I left, however, thinking this is... A necessity of our organization like our, our resources or lack of resources have driven us to, to need to be this for for our organization and for our community rather than just something hey we decided to, to be thinking firefighters because it sounds cool
1: yeah yeah I didn't you know you and I haven't talked about that in the past um, and I don't think that I recognize that until you just said this you know that Um, It it is necessity. I mean, we kind of identified this in the podcast, but I don't really think that I put that together, you know, in the way that that you just said it as well, because it is true. The way that our organization is currently set up, um, we're not in the position of, you know, being, I don't want to say single-minded firefighters. You know, there is a need for us to be well-rounded to an extent. You know and not well-rounded to immediate to be mediocre but being well-rounded to be good at performing the tasks that we need to on the fire ground that we're assigned yeah and brian brought it up in the podcast
0: in that look at the way we do trucks just because we don't have a lot of truck resources in the city and we don't have them there right now that we even have to split resources which you know mandates that All our folks recognize the situation and are able to think through the problems they're being faced with and and solve those problems, whether there's a company officer there or not. So regardless of your rank, it's the expectation of the organization that you are a thinking firefighter and you train yourself beforehand
1: to be able to solve those problems when it really counts. Yeah. I don't know if we mentioned this in the podcast or not, but that also brings up On Deck. Did we talk about On Deck? No, but that's the same thing. I mean, if, we're, if we've got a policy that um, allows companies to be placed in an on-deck position, that means they're on deck to do any job that they're assigned. So no longer can we say, I'm an engine company, and I put water on fire. You know, it's, hey, you're an engine company, and the expectation now is that you're going to go relieve truck four on the roof of a structure. So you have to be a thinking firefighter. You can't be single-minded or, or, or singularly tasked um, to be able to meet the needs of our TAC Ops right now. Sure.
0: All right, without further ado, let's uh, present our interview with Lieutenant Brian Lynch and driver engineer John Roy about thinking firefighter. All right, so today I've brought you in to talk about being a thinking firefighter, and how we got to this topic was, um, I was sitting and talking to Chief Dubay, and he started talking about, well, we we want thinking firefighters, so as you're training people, train them to be thinking firefighters, and I thought, (coughs) well, what exactly is a thinking firefighter? I just, I really didn't have a good idea, but we throw these words out um, pretty often at all different, different levels. So I kind of wanted to define it a little bit, maybe what it is and what it isn't. Um, and one thing that struck me is we were talking about the academy one time and, and you and I were talking about thinking firefighters and you had, I forget who you were talking to, but someone who had come from another fire department and that person said, you know, I learned a lot in this academy, more than I did back home. And you're a very, we're a very cerebral fire department. Yeah. Um, and I took that to mean, well, we do things for reasons as opposed to just doing things. Um, and so that kind of resonated with me too, and kind of, kind of started us talking about the thinking firefighter. So what I want to start out with is, you know, let's define what exactly is a thinking firefighter, and let's start with Brian, and we'll kind of just go around the table and, and get input from everybody.
2: Um. Well I think a, a thinking firefighter is uh, somebody who has a uh, uh, maybe a kind of quantified expectation of what's going to happen when you do something on the fireground mm-hmm. right? if I if, if, if I break this window and ventilate this window I have an expectation of what's going to come next that you know smoke's gonna come out air's going to go in and and if I open up my hose line and I start to move my hose line around or I cut a hole in the roof whatever it is you should have an expectation of of what's happening whether it's I guess um, strategically or tactically and I think about it especially from the, the perspective of being a, a company officer now and I spent uh, about, about 20 years in the uh, in fire service before I promoted mm-hmm. uh, to lieutenant so I spent a fair amount of time at that you know kind of tactics and task level doing things and I think that that's probably for me knowing and having an expectation of what should be and shouldn't be happening on the fire ground and what what your tactics and tasks are going to do and what other people's tactics and tasks are going to do on the fire ground. Okay. You know, you hear boots on the on the roof and you can hear them sounding and you hear the chainsaw. There's an expectation that you should get a lift and, and they're going to vent it. Or, mm-hmm. you know, you start to see steam coming from a window, you have an expectation they're getting the fire knocked down. And, and whatever it might be, I just think that that, Really, to me, a thinking firefighter has a quantified outcome of if I do this, I have this expected result. And if I don't, if something changes, then I can kind of adapt off of that.
0: So right. maybe understanding the cause and effect of actions yeah. that you take. Yeah. Okay. Josh, what do you got?
1: Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with, with Lynch on this one. <coughs> um, I, I, to add to that, I would go the thinking firefighter is somebody that knows their job and does their job. You know? And, and not only do they understand. What Tac Ops says, like, hey, this here's your here's your script, here's your kind of your guardrails, but also combining that with um, the knowledge of building construction or you know fire dynamics and reading smoke and um, kind of understanding what's happening on that scene, um, and then in addition to that, when you don't get that um, expected outcome, knowing that you need to have a Plan B. A plan C, as far back as you can go, like when i when I force this door and i don't I'm not able to force it, then what's my plan b? you know what's my next go to mm-hmm. so kind of having additional um, i guess expectations of of what what's going to happen John.
3: Yeah, I mean, I've, I agree with everything, and I, I guess I would really only expand on the people who don't necessarily have a ton of experience. You know, because you talk about twenty years, and then you become a lieutenant. There's plenty of people on our job who are third classes, their second classes, or they're new fourth, or excuse me, first classes, and we're expecting them to be thinking firefighters. So to me, a thinking firefighter is somebody who. Takes their preparation, their training, and then whatever level of experience that they have, and they are able to apply that to critical incidents. Because we're always thinking about a thinking firefighter in terms of, you know, the crap sit in the fan. How are we making good decisions?
0: Mm-hmm. It's interesting you say that because, from my perspective, right, I, I stand outside the building or sit in the suburban, and everything is cause and effect. So I'm watching visual cl- clues from what I'm hearing on the radio. You know, the smoke's turning white, or they say they have water on the fire, and there's nothing happening you know what I mean and and so that's it's it's a different level of
1: thinking but it's the same same type of thing I, I, think. I think it's also important to talk about the perspective of each person you know what what's your visibility what's your what's your view do you have a are you interior on a hose line and you have zero visibility you know because um, you're your thought process is going to be different there than the person that's sitting outside, whether in a command vehicle or um, you're a, a rig crew, you know, and, and watching the incident from the outside. So that thinking part of it is, I think it's directly related to what your view is of the, of the incident or the situation as well. Um, and kind of understanding like, hey, when I'm inside and I have zero visibility, and the battalion chief or the IC calls pulls me out there's probably a, a good reason for it you know even though I feel like hey I'm, I'm making headway I'm, I'm getting a good push on this um, but you know being able to understand that the outside perspective as well and, and be able to listen and communicate and that's the whole teamwork side of what we do mm-hmm. is knowing that hey this isn't about me this is about us and the incident
0: well how, how do you get that perspective because we're all different we're all in different positions and um, so, how a firefighter gains perspective and gains insight about what's happening in the environment is going to be different than, say, a battalion chief. Um, so, what would you guys say? How, what's what's the best way to gain those perspective, especially from the firefighter level? And they're not because it's easy for <coughs> officers to go, "Well, I just do a 360."
2: Yeah,
0: you know, and you get a good, pretty good view of what's going on. But how can the firefighter? What can the firefighters do to gain insight on the incident? Gain information on the incident? Um, so they can think through the problems they have to solve
3: I, I think every single one of us would be on board with this concept, and we 've all done it, but the morning size ups, yeah. so mm-hmm. you know we, we did it at station one, we do it currently of sitting in front of a, a TV every morning uh, as a crew, pulling up a structure fire whether it 's residential commercial, and then you know people will either take turns sizing it up or some one person's going to size it up, and then we 're going to talk about it afterwards, and I think that First of all, that's that's visualization, which I'll talk a little bit about later, but um, that visualization, you know, to prepare yourself for what you could see in the future, if things go poorly. You know, I've seen that before. Even if I haven't physically seen it, I've prepared for it mentally. But then also just understanding the perspective of other people, too. You know, when we get the opportunity to do these size-ups and, um, you know, I do a size-up as a driver and then I get critiqued by an officer, it allows them to think okay, this is how this person's thinking, but then I also know how they're thinking too. Mm-hmm. And you know, we've implemented that practice on structure fires as well. Like, there's really not a lot of ambiguity for he and I when we go to a structure fire because we've talked about it every single morning with uh, you know, scenarios that we can see that are very similar to what we encounter in real life. And when you talk about morning size ups, is we're our, getting our mind in the
1: place of you know, doing that task and performing it and being successful. And so I think there's a lot of mental, you know, mental skill there. I wanted to add to John, kind of what you're saying um, is, I look back at the beginning of my career and where we're at now Mm -hmm. and where the firefighters are starting now. And there is so much information out there. Like I look back at the beginning of my career and I, or we were lucky if we happened to be at the right place and happened to talk to the right people to get good information. We're now with (coughs) social media, UL studies, you know, just the different types of training opportunities that are out there, the information's there. And we as individuals just have to be willing to go out and find it and put the work in to, to learn the information. And we can fight a fire every single day, you know, yeah. maybe we're not going to a fire, but Tabletop. mentally preparing. Yeah. And, and by looking at images or videos and just putting ourselves in that situation, yeah. like I, I'm almost jealous that I didn't come on now, like in this time frame. It's like, man, where was all this information?
3: I'm still, I'm still, even, you know, I haven't been on long, you know, at eight years. But I'm like, I wish I would have done this, you know, five, six years ago. Because I'm sure you all feel the same way. But like my first fire, my vision was this big. Yeah, man. Yeah. You know, and then your next fire, it's a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. But, you know, I've found that, you know, since we've been doing the, the video size of training, even going back to station one, it's like you get to a fire and you're like, I haven't seen this, but I've seen it. You know, you know what yeah. I mean?
0: so well, how did did you come up with the idea is that something or well, did you I mean, learn from what, somebody else or
2: no we used to do it at station at station eight when I was a driver at station eight all the time and, and um, you know Josh Talbot Ryan Royal uh Nick Chappell uh the whole crew we would we would you know sometimes do it together sometimes you know it would just be you know one or two guys with with the the probationary firefighter and honestly kind of how it happened for for how it, how it kind of got ingrained into me that it can be something that is benefit, more beneficial than just to our own crew um, and something maybe that could, <clears throat> you know, permeate the job was uh, when, when we used to do it, maybe it would be one or two of us sitting around. And um, I remember at the time... Uh, mike which was our battalion chief and i had never really worked with him he kind of came over and he had he promoted a chief and, and he came over was working at at uh on uh, battalion two c shift and i didn't really know him very well um other than he was a captain of fours beforehand had never really worked with him other than a shift here and there and uh, when we were sitting around doing stuff we had it up on the tv in the kitchen and he would come in every night to get his tea you know and he makes his tea, and he would sit there. And the first few times we were doing it, the first few shifts, he'd just kind of looked at it and, uh, you know, kind of listen for a second, and then he'd leave. Um, and the more that we did this, uh, the more routinely, and it wasn't every shift, but the more routinely he would just be kind of there and then occasionally starting to contribute. And then it was kind of like a, a crew discussion, a group discussion, whatever. And and so uh, I remember the, the moment it kind of, uh, I guess, hit me where... We had a fire at apartment complex, and I was uh, driver uh, on on the truck on the truck company. And I don't even really remember the specifics of what I was asking for or doing on the radio, um, but I gave a, a very <clears throat> sort of wordy transmission without saying anything. Um, but afterwards, he said, "Yeah, okay, truck eight ladders. I copy that." And um, after the fire. He, he, we, had, we were talking about it, and I said, Oh, that was a not a great transmission. And he says, Yeah, but you know what? I knew exactly what you meant. He goes, I've heard you say that around the kitchen table, you know, numerous times. So I knew exactly what you were seeing and exactly what you were thinking. And I mean, it sounds kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> obvious, but it was kind of in that moment when I was like, Oh, that was the kind of the aha moment when you're like, You know what? This is this has a, a philosophical impact on our job. Uh, when we. You know with the battalion chief who's not with us during the day um, you know very rarely or in and around the station is not doing you know hands-on training with us but yet because we're sitting around talking about it and because we're kind of getting you know, trying to hone uh, our own uh, skills and size up skills that he kind of recognized that and and from there just when I promoted and went to station one and uh, Josh was the other was the other officer and and i just said that it needs to be a priority to be able to do this every every day and to get people on the same
3: page i think you hit the nail on the head though with it being a crew activity yeah because you know you talk about like i did have the experience as a firefighter of ryan royal sitting down with me Mm -hmm. he's a firefighter i'm a brand new firefighter he's talking about hey what do you think about this this Mm -hmm. is what you should be thinking but to have all of the perspectives at the table is so much so much more different you know what i mean yeah so well of course because you have to have
2: i mean i look at it like it, as a even as a as a you know as an officer as a company officer we're listening to it going okay well <clears throat> you know clearly uh, tanner does the size up and he says yeah this is what i would do as the ladders firefighter well you know he's recognizing the things right. that mm-hmm. you know and and uh, i need to vertically vent here i need a right. horizontal or we need to ves whatever whatever it may be right. and i think that that hearing especially hearing the 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 crew saying here the boss saying yeah, this is what i'm thinking in this right. and this is what i'm going to do yep. I mean, we'll pull up to the scenes and just, like you say, we... You leave and we figure, yeah. It, yeah. inch and three-quarter to the front door, right. and then it's kind of, you know, gone
1: from there. Mm-hmm. The cool thing is, I, sorry, I think this is kind of... It's, it's trickled out to the job. You know, it's something small that started at, at Station 8 at the kitchen table there. Yeah. And, you know, most places that I've either been on hire backs or, um, you know, trades, things like that, is most companies are doing this now. And, and I can see... Yeah you know, a benefit. Just showing up as a company officer that's not normally there, just seeing how that crew interacts and works together yeah. is, I mean, they're successful teams because of the discussions that they're having.
0: Yeah. So how, do, how do you take that training and make uh, a safe environment for everybody? Because your your third class or your fourth class may not feel comfortable discussing fire, fire ground tactics and tasks. Um, and I, I know you've had you know, sat in those sessions and had fourth classes, you know, go ahead and size it up. So um, for those that aren't necessarily comfortable in it, whether they're in a leadership position and they're afraid they're going to show some sort of weakness to someone who is probably in a follower position, you know, less experienced, maybe not capable to make a lot of those decisions. How do you create a safe environment using that tool? So everybody gains something from it.
2: I think as a company officer, you set the expectation and you go first. And you lead and you say that, well, here, I'm going to do the size up here. I'm going to talk about what I'm seeing mm-hmm. and my expectation of what should happen based off of what I'm based off of what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that part of it is that, you know, I don't know It was not long after we came on, but there seemed to be like so many different tactics that were talked about, mm-hmm. whether it was transitional or inch and three quarters, two and a half, fog nozzles, smoothbore, and not to say that those aren't so topics of discussion today, but it seemed like the company officer had so many, we used to say, we used to, uh, the, uh, you know, it's just a tool in the toolbox, but it seemed like, they, seemed like they gave the company officer so many tools in the toolbox that it was like, I don't really know which one to use here. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that sometimes we, we just need to simplify it. Right, and I think that if we could do that on a larger scale, a broader scale from the the top down and the bottom up as well, to just look at it as we really aren't you know it's it's a fireground is a is a complex scenario, complex situation with a lot of very simple solutions to be able to to deal with it and i think uh, one of the best examples i i I can give of this is I was listening to um, it, uh, it was a talk radio and they had Gary Kubiak on who was the Broncos offensive coordinator in the late 90s when the Denver was in the Super Bowl runs and such and um, he was talking about how they had five scripted plays that they would run at the very beginning of the game every single time. The first five plays were always going to be, you know, whatever they were however they however they would set it up and those five scripted plays were designed to put the defense and you know make the defense go into certain formations and and, and go into certain defenses to expose what they're going to do when you know denver went to these offenses, and they were incredibly successful at it right um and when you think about it, the fire service is really not <clears throat> as firefighters we're not that much different we have You know, we we attack it, we search it, we vent it, and we have an inch and three-quarter of it, or two and a half, and um, we go in the front door, or sometimes we, you know, go in the back door, put the fire out, right? Um, uh, uh, If if we're going to vent it, we do vertical, we do horizontal. If we search it, we're going through a window, or we're going through a door. Those are pretty simple concepts, you know, that, that I get there's a lot of complexity to them, but... I think that if you if we would simplify it to here 's the decisions that you need to make on the fire ground, and you 're going to do that based off of what you see and sometimes I think if, if, if we would uh, like I said oh we, we, we make it too complex yeah, we
1: get into the weeds so much with this stuff. man we just do. look at just look at the the, the root problem yeah. and and kind of the, the few tools that we use on a consistent basis, yeah. and sometimes we need to expand from that. Um, one of the things that you said at the beginning of that is um when you're talking about hey like we should go first you know as a leader as a company officer um what i like to look at is and i know this sounds kind of corny but if it's fun let let your crew go first yeah if it's scary you should be the one that does it first yeah you're right you know and kind of set that example but in addition to that we also have to do that and be able to own our mistakes you know as a leader as a lieutenant as a you know company officer when i screw up I need to be able to own that and then be able to show the people that I'm working with that that's okay. Like, we're not going to be 100% correct 100% of the time. We're going to make mistakes. And we can all learn from that as a group. So when I make a mistake, I'm like, hey, I'm not perfect. You know, I'm glad I made that mistake in training. And I think that's one thing, you know, and John, I'd like to hear your perspective on this, too, because when we were at once together, I think Lieutenant Lynch and I did a really good job of saying, we want you to make mistakes at the kitchen table. Like, it's okay, we're probably gonna make fun of you, you know, yeah. like, like I would expect culture, you to make fun right? of me. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's all in fun, but we want those mistakes to happen at the kitchen table or in training, um, not out on the, on the real incident. And I think that that expectation part starts with us as company officers going, I expect you to make mistakes. You're not gonna grow if you get it right every time. So I'm curious, like, from, from
3: your perspective of that. Well, my perspective is, is also coming from somebody who's, who has worked at a station where we get fourth classes every four months, right? So you talk about the storming, norming, performing. Yeah. We're, we're storming every four months. So yeah. this discussion that y- you're talking about having is formally had with our fourth class, but it's basically had to the fourth class and kind of broadcast to everybody who's sitting at the table, right? So it's it's exactly what you just said. It's better for us to make a mistake at the kitchen table than to make it in real life. Um, don't feel embarrassed to have these discussions. Everybody has different perspectives and levels of experience. We're gonna talk about it after. Every single time we get a new fourth class firefighter, we have that discussion. So even if there's somebody who's shipped in for the day that's maybe feeling a little apprehensive about participating, you know that discussion has been had. So I think if you're just willing to have that, that discussion on the front end of saying like, this is a safe environment, this is a learning environment, and in particular, what you just said, it's way better for us to make these mistakes now than to make them on the drill gr- or excuse me on the fire ground
1: yeah i i try even the fourth class i you know as a company officer i tell them i'm like look i'm gonna make mistakes and if there's something that i do that either is not helping make you successful or you know that that i could do better to help you i'm like my expectation is that you come to me and have that courageous conversation and say i need you to do this differently mm-hmm. and you know there might be times where i go I'm sorry, but this is the way we're doing it, and this is why. And there might be times where I didn't even know that, you know, that that person needed something different from me. So it's you know it comes back to the teamwork side and having open, honest communication and being willing to accept um, other viewpoints. All right. So
0: we've we've talked a little bit about this next question, but I wanted to throw out to you first: who is it? Within our organization, should be the thinking firefighters, and two, how do they become that, or how do we create that in them to become that thinking firefighter? So let's go with the first one. Let's start with Josh on this. Um, who is it you think
1: should be thinking firefighters within our organization? So I feel like there's different levels, you know, from the fourth class to the chief of the department, and each rank should have kind of an understanding or an expectation of where their thought process should be you know as a company officer i don't look at a fourth class and go i expect you to understand what's happening on this fire ground i expect that you're going to show up to a fire and when i say after the fire's over what did you see and they're like fire i'm like yep that's kind of what i expected <laughs> mm-hmm. you know and <laughs> i think lynch yeah. i think you've used that a lot as yeah. kind of a you know um, a scenario <laughs> but the fourth class fire or i'm sorry the first class firefighter after the fire, I, I, when I go, what did you see? I expect them to go. Well, when I pulled up, um, I noticed, um, you know, overgrown weeds in the yard. I noticed a window was boarded up. Um, I noticed some construction happening. I noticed, you know, all these things that are really putting all the pieces of the puzzle together. Um, and then above that, you know, the company officer, the battalion chief, all the way up to the chief of the department is going to have a different view of, um, you know, what level they should be thinking at. True. Ryan
2: um, you know obviously everybody on the fire ground needs to be a thanking officer and and when I think about it from the perspective of you know like like Josh said that with rank you know, obviously i'm thinking and i'm seeing things that are a little bit different than like the fourth class firefighters thing and that was me you know after the very first fire we went to you know and, and danny romero asked me he was in he was the on the in the back of engine nine with me we're in this fire and he says what'd you see and i was like well it was really orange and he's like what else did you see i'm like well orange over there too you know and yeah. he's like well <clears throat> you see the furniture was overturned you see the front door was open when we got here Do you see this you know the smoke coming from the mm-hmm. the gable over here and it's like well i didn't see any of that you know but yeah. um so there's certain there's obviously certain levels of uh, of, of firef- a firefighter of thinking firefighter but i think that it's incumbent upon you know, maybe the senior firefighters in the station, the officers certainly, but the senior firefighters in the station to be the thinking firefighter for that person. Yeah. You know, because I look in that scenario, like Danny saw all those things and I didn't see really any of them, mm-hmm. uh, but he saw all those things and still made the decision like, okay, like we're still going to go into the front door here and the fire's back here. There's nothing ominous that that I'm missing, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a kind of incumbent upon us to, to be the experience and to be the to be the thinking firefighter for those people, mm-hmm. you know? Sure. Well,
0: and that brings up a good point because, you know, back when I was a company officer, I would have the newest, least experienced person on the nozzle and the more, more experienced person behind because I wanted the person in the back to have a bigger perspective on what was going on. Mm-hmm. And I always use the example, if you know, you're crawling down a hall and fire's coming out of the heater vent, you know, the fourth class might look over and go, oh, look, there's fire coming out of the heater vent. This is so cool, you know? Where the paramedics, like, hold on, there's fire below us. Let's back out and reassess what we're doing uh, because we don't want fire burning on the floor that we're trying to get across. Sure. Um, You know, so it's somewhat, I think, expected of the junior firefighter who doesn't have that experience to look at something and get overwhelmed by all the inputs that they're getting but each time, like Josh said, it gets a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. So what are your thoughts on, yeah, on who should Yeah, I don't
3: have be? a ton to add to that, but I do obviously agree that every rank should have a capacity to be a thinking firefighter. And I would say that, you know, I'm, I'm not an officer, but Um, I think that there's also probably an acknowledgement along the way that you might be moving away from the task level to the strategic level as well so you know you build this bank of experience and training and that increases your capacity to think but then there's also a threshold when you become a company officer where I think you start thinking differently as well you know in those strategic ways Mm -hmm. you know what else not only rank
1: or time on the job but look at the programs you know like let's take you know while heavy rescue as a you know as a firefighter on an engine company i'm a a level um you know of expertise and then on a truck company i'm a level of expertise but when it comes to the really technical things i'm looking to heavy rescue i'm looking to hazmat i'm looking to wildland for their out their perspective because they're thinking at a different level than we are so i think even with our organization we already build those things in there by going okay hey I'm not the expert on this, but I've got a station station that I can call. Like when I think about rescue guys, I'm like, those are the guys that like to put a lot of thought process. In. I want to show up and I want to do a job. You know, they're the ones that want to analyze every little bit of it and pick it apart and you know, and kind of know every every inch of it. I'm like, let me just do the job. Yeah. And so I appreciate having those guys. But that's a level of thinking thinking firefighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, so that begs the question, so how is it that, that one becomes a thinking firefighter and how can we help them through that process? What do you think, John? I know, I'll read it
3: off. I've got a shameless okay. book plug here. Okay,
0: well this is, we are the second best I'm not thing to the Oprah Book
3: Club. Right, so I'm why, not sponsored by this book, but you, I, re- I read this recently. Yeah, re- read that thing, though, for the for the podcast side of it. it. So, "How Champions Think in Sports and in Life" by Dr. Bob Ratella. I read this book for pleasure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I read this book for pleasure and. Actually, it was just coincidental that it really kind of pieced some things together for me about what I was thinking already with this podcast coming up. But Dr. Bob Rutell is a sports psychologist. He's worked with some of the biggest names, LeBron James, Jack Nicholas, people who are expected to perform in a high capacity. And after reading this book, uh, I, was, you know, I think he articulated a lot of the things that we should be trying to emulate or do to be, become thinking firefighters. So the first thing that he talks about in length in this book is the idea that our subconscious mind controls so much more of what we do and how we think than we could probably ever anticipate it does. So everything we say, everything that we perform, everything that we visualize has an impact not only on us consciously but subconsciously as well. He talks about how, in critical moments, you know major sports games championships, um, we're, we should be relying on our subconscious mind more than our conscious mind because when we're doing a skill that requires a time component, something that's critical like right now, uh, if we try to switch to that conscious thought it's very difficult for our brain to do things in a way that's not clunky. so in the book, he talks about you know counseling multiple athletes who are like, man when i 'm playing basketball." with some kids at a charity event, I'm, I'm hitting every three pointer, but when I go to play in a championship game, I just can't get it done. It's because they're not willing to switch from their conscious to their subconscious mind and just kind of let things go. Where I'm going with that is, um, he talks about this concept of train then trust. So you know, any athlete that's at the highest level has not only trained multiple skills with repetition to the point that it's subconscious, but they've also taken the time to visualize as well. And the good ones have visualized not only the good things that can happen, but also the bad things that can happen as well. And as I started to think about this more, I think this is really what makes a good thinking firefighter. So when you talk about training the skills, the physical skills, you know, the stuff that we do on the fire ground, forcing doors, stretching lines, masking up, like that should be so repetitive and we should have done it so many times that we can put that in the subconscious part of our mind. If that skill isn't reinforced and you haven't done that ad nauseum, That's the thing that you're gonna be thinking about when you're on the fire ground. It's like, I haven't masked up a ton, like how do I go about doing this? Or I haven't forced a door in over a year. You know, how do I force this door? What's my first step? Um, So that's the first component of it, is training those physical skills to the point that they can be subconscious. I know that I can do them without even really having to think about it. The second part is the visualization piece. So he talks about, you know, when you're not in a critical moment, you need to take the time to visualize the good things and the bad things. And I think that we do that through what we just talked about, our, our video size ups every single morning. But we do it every time we go and do a pre-plan as well. You know, I think about the other day, we went into a, a house for a CO call and it was hoarder conditions and we took the time to talk about, well, how would we search this thing? You know, we, we can barely get around in these rooms. How can, we, how can we search these things? What are some of the things we're thinking about? We do that in a non-stressed situation so that when the time comes and we need to actually perform, we can trust in our training. So I think really how we create thinking firefighters is twofold. We need to encourage people to not only train, but also do it with repetition to the point that that can be subconscious. Mm-hmm. And we also need to implement or uh, you know really encourage this process of visualization, whether it be size ups in the morning with videos, or whether it be going out in district and, and thinking about the good and the bad things that could, could happen with different incidents, and then putting those together. Um, and then, you know, the piece about conscious thought, if you can allow all these other things to be subconscious, masking up, forcing doors, stretching lines, you can dedicate more time to conscious thought. And I think that's ultimately when we talk about this is our field of vision when we first started and it expands and it expands and it expands. It expands because we're learning more, but I think it expands too because we're doing those physical skills so much that they're not things that we're thinking about anymore when we're on a fire ground.
0: Oh, that's a good point because a lot of people talk about you can only do one thing really well at, right. at, at any given time. So right. the whole notion of multitasking is is a myth. Right. It's simply a notion. Right? right. So if you get real good at the small things that you're talking about, masking up, putting your turnouts on, checking the door, uh, pulling the hose line. Um, that's one less thing you have to think about. You're not thinking about the small little things that you should be practiced at. You're thinking about the big bigger picture things. So that's a good point.
1: I, I think you just hit on like the foundation of where intuition and gut feeling comes from, you know? Um, and I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast, but you know, the, the times that I haven't listened to kind of that intuition, is times where like, I probably didn't make the best decision, but I think what we're doing in training the way that you're talking about is we're, we're building intuition in, you know, because really intuition comes from past experience. So we're giving ourselves to make decisions based on a gut reaction, like, I feel this right now and I need to do this um, without having to have that, would that be the conscious
3: thought? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right.
1: Yeah, without, without trying to dumb down everything that you just exactly. said. But
3: exactly. So, <laughs> dedicate as much as you can to it being subconscious so that it's just second nature, and then that frees up your ability to think about the things that you really want to think about. And, you know, that's what you talked about with multitasking, it was talked about in the book. I mean, if you're yeah. trying to multitask, you're essentially doing two things 50% of the capacity that you could if you were just dedicating yourself to one thing. Yeah. So,
0: what do you think? Is there, are there additional things that we can do? Um, as firefighters ourselves, as company officers with firefighters working for us as battalion chiefs for our officers, mm-hmm. that we could assist in the development of people as thinking firefighters.
2: Well, I think that the the way I mean, I'll echo what Josh said, or John, Josh, yeah. what's your name? I'll <laughs> echo what Larry <laughs> here said. I couldn't say what Josh. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Byron. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Tom. Here is spot on. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, I. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Everything has, to, and the, the fire service, we call it big picture to small picture, right? And we have to, when we size up, we, we pull up to a building, we look at it immediately. And I was just talking to, uh, you know, our, our uh, fourth class firefighters in his third rotation um, at on engine 23. And we're, we're talking about when you show up to a building and you look at the building, you have to just look at it right away and go, oh, that's a bi-level or that's a, you know, a modern full story. That's right. a center hallway apartment. That's, that stuff is, should just be just to just register, Sometimes. you shouldn't even think right. about it, right? You're just recognizing right. exactly, exactly what it is. Um, but I think that as company officers, as chief officers, you know, the one when when I was a brand new lieutenant, you said, hey, this is yours for your, your, your every scene is yours for the first 10 minutes. And mm-hmm. right? you got to run it for 10 minutes until I get there. Right. Um, and that was pretty profound to me because I thought, well, OK, then. <clears throat> there's nobody to kick this ball to, <laughs> you know? Especially being downtown. Yeah, especially yeah. being, being and, and honestly, coming from, you know, in our job, the driver rank to company officer is not, there's not a lot of acting opportunities. So um, a lot of it was very new sitting in that seat. And so when I think about it, you know, you're relying very heavily on me to make good strategic and tactical decisions. And then I'm gonna, that, that, there, there's a trickle down effect that goes to the driver, that goes to the, to the back seat. And I think about it from the perspective of, um, You know, uh, I don't know if I've ever, since I've become a lieutenant, I don't believe that, on a fire at least, I've ever pulled a hose line. I I don't think I've ever pulled a hose line. Um, I haven't really been involved tactically. You know at least in the first few minutes of a, of a fireground, you've been jogging you know, i've been <laughs> yeah i've been jogging, <laughs> jogging uphill 13 miles um i've been i mean you're i'm, I'm the, the if you're the first two company officer then you're paid to set that up you're paid to set the strategy and to set the tactics and i think the benefit of being a company officer is you're going to get the best of both worlds you get a get you get to kind of have a say in it and how, how this is going to run we're gonna we're gonna you know inch and three quarter through the front door vertical vent we're gonna do VES whatever it may be but you, when when it's time to go to work the the lieutenant's sort of like a working foreman the captain's like a working foreman on the fireground to where you're um, you're paid to think and you're paid to get to make those decisions mm-hmm. and from my perspective I rely very much on the crew to make good decisions. I mean, how many times you pull to a fire and you say inch and three quarter to the front door? Well, as soon as I say that to the crew, I, I'm, I'm starting to think about what am I going to, where am I going to sign the truck two vent vertical or two vent horizontal? Uh, you know, do we need all four And starting to go down the road of of, of attacking it, searching it, venting it. I'm not going to have a say in how they stretch it. Uh, I'm not going to say whether they do a forward or a reverse stretch. I'm not going to say how much surplus they're going to need to take. All of that stuff is, I'm relying completely on the back seat to make those decisions, to think about those decisions. Same thing with, I think the, the biggest example that we probably see, from the the company officer level for me is on the truck company. Mm -hmm. Because you look at the ladders team, and the ladders team really makes a a significant decision in terms of, we will have a conversation, John and I will in the cab, we pull up, and I'll say, yeah, I think you need to cut it, uh, you know, vertical vent, um, or I'll say no horizontal. But ultimately, when I get out of the rig, uh, and I start to go inside to do my search, if he says, you know what, we're not gonna do horizontal, we're gonna do vertical, or we're not doing vertical, we're gonna do horizontal, or we're scrapping ventilation altogether and we're gonna VES, that's his call on the backside. And, and that's a, to, to me, there, that has to be based on, on something. You know, it has to be based on, there has to be a why. Because if I go to him and go, hey, I said vertical vent, why'd you change it? Because I saw this. And, and, I, and I think that um, from a company officer's perspective, you know, it's imperative that we have thinking Thinking firefighters and people in in every rank <laughs> uh, not only company officer that are making good decisions
1: and, sure. and to your first part of this question, chief is uh, I think the individual firefighter or in each rank yeah. you know has a responsibility to become a thinking firefighter, but as leaders, informal leaders, company officers, you know drivers uh, mentoring people it 's our job to help facilitate that and explain to them what they don't know you know because I mean it's it kind of goes back to the analogy of you don't know what you don't know until somebody tells you right. and if you're in a leadership position you've probably been around long enough to see a lot of these problems happen mm-hmm. and then be able to go hey you know here's not only my expectation but these are the other things that you need to be thinking about and so I think that's like our responsibility you know, as, as an informal leader, as a driver, or as a company officer, is to make sure that, you know, that person that's learning these things gets all the, all the correct information.
3: Yeah. And um, I actually, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. Go ahead. So I, I was thinking a little bit about this whole transition from conscious to subconscious with the officer rank because, you know, it's easy to say, like, hey, at the task level, you know, con- mm-hmm. uh, you know conscious to subconscious or vice versa. How is that implemented at the lieutenant's level? And I think that there still is that em- element of, train than trust, you know, as far as doing the morning size ups and having that system of that, that size up. Like for you, for instance, I know the first thing you're going to say is all right. It's the first <laughs> word you're going to say, mm-hmm. right? right? And then engine 23 has arrived to a working structure fire and then attack at search dependent, right? Yep. You have a system. So really, even though it sounds like how could you have subconscious thought when you're going and sizing up a fire, mm-hmm. everything on that front end is already scripted, mm-hmm. you yep. know, and then you're plugging in everything else. So the mm-hmm. conscious thought comes into to what am I plugging into my strategy, but everything I'm saying is somewhat scripted. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, it should be, I think. I think it shouldn't sound different every single time. You should say, all right, all companies, Engine 23's arrived, working fire in a one-story, single family, describe the conditions, and then describe what you're gonna do about it, Right. right? Sure,
0: and to talk about your point, Josh, I think letting people know the expectation before you have the incident. yeah. Like Tell them why you need them to be a thinking firefighter. Yeah. Because I'm not showing up for 10 minutes. You got it for the first 10 minutes. So that should be your expectation. Because when I get there, I'm not skidding sideways into the incident going, I got it. <laughs> you know, I want to do that 360. I want to see how people are reacting. I want to get information so I know what's going on. So when I take over, I know where everybody's at. I know what they're doing. I know what the conditions are. And I can manage the incident. He's already got it. I don't need to take it from him. You know, unless something's going completely sideways and they're getting overwhelmed because there's a lot of things going on that's beyond their control and there's just too much, Um, keep it for 10 minutes. I need you to think through this. I need you to set this incident up for success because this is what I've got to do before I can can take control of it. And you say that same thing to your firefighters. I got this thing for the first 10 minutes until the chief gets here and he's ready to take it. So what I need you to do is look at the structure, size it up, understand where the fire's at, mm-hmm. how you're going to get there, should I go in now, should I do a transitional, I need you to think through all those variables before, you know, you know, at the kitchen table when we're doing this, this is your opportunity to learn that and then when we're on scene recognize what your role in this team is and, and how it how it plays into the incident as a whole
1: yeah Go ahead. as you say you lynch when you reminded me of something that happened a little earlier in my career before i got promoted when you say when something sounds different you know like when your script should pretty much sound like your script you know so when you pull up and when i give a size up people should go okay winner's giving a size up that sounds normal yeah. you know like yes we should always be on our game and be thinking and outside the box and or maybe expanding the box maybe but um i was acting i was a driver and i was acting we pulled up to a ta and i gave a size up and i got back to the station and speaking of witchery he was a battalion chief and he goes hey why did you give a size up and it wasn't, he wasn't dogging me, but I go, I don't get to act much, I just need to practice. And he goes, oh, okay, and I go, well, is that a problem? And he goes, no, but you know, when I hear something that's different, it really catches my ear. and it makes me go okay something's different about this like i really need to start listening and so for him he was so used to people pulling up on tas and if it was single company response not hearing a size up but but as soon as i did that he perked up and went okay something's different i need to i really need to pay attention Um, and i think that that's something that that we can work on too when we have these these really good scripts of what we're doing and and it kind of gives people a better picture of the scene, too. Like, hey, I'm mm-hmm. pulling up to, you know, a single-family residential with a kitchen fire. It's like, okay, got it. Yeah. But when I pull up and my size-up starts sounding different, then people are going to be going, okay, something's different about this fire. Like, I really need to be on on my game, which we should be every time anyway, but sure, you know what I mean.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think of, like, you know, t- probably two, two of my mentors on the job, you know, Jose Garcia um, was always just so kind of even keel like you like and he told me one time he said when when i was i was studying for the lieutenant's exam he says you should sound he says you don't want to sound bored when you're doing it but he says kind of on the brink like this isn't a big deal so because what the problem is is if you start in the radio or on on your radio report and you start chirping and you start you know the the if your if your voice starts to go up mm-hmm. then it's going to raise the anxiety of everybody coming into the scene and, and it's like and then people may not listen to you and whatnot and i remember thinking about all of his size ups and he just kind of was yeah, okay it whatever is. Yeah. yeah you know i remember listening to uh, gabe
0: blanco's size up on that fire up on oak hills um where the people were walking out as they were coming in and there was a grass fire and there's a house oh, yeah. on fire and i remember thinking like is he going to getting ready to go to bed. I mean it was just like so even keel, but it was a significant incident and he just sounded so, eh, here we are. Yeah. And this is what we're gonna do. And thinking, man, that really that really can bring people in, like, okay, we've got control of this, where we've heard people in the past um, and heard them, you know, bring it up an Octave and you're like, oh my gosh, here we go. And yeah. everybody gets amped up and a little bit tighter. Um, I almost find myself when I'm giving size-ups is purposefully trying to sound blase about it because it brings my anxiety level down because, you know, the adrenaline's pushing when you show up and it's there whether you want it there or not, you know, but I've got to purposefully bring myself down to
1: to a more relaxed level or everybody else is going to be... See, this is the conversations that we need to be having to have somebody at the chief's level going, I need to consciously think about... How I give my size up yeah. mm-hmm. and going, this is okay. Like, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, opposed to 15, 20 years ago, it just seemed like a different atmosphere, you know, like where it, it wasn't okay to go, you know what, I pulled up and I was a little bit anxious, you know, but I maintained my composure and I gave it a good size up. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem I have now in the BC ride is
0: I have to drive for so long. Yeah. If something's going sideways and I hear it, I'm anticipating it's making me even more anxious, you know, and then so I got to show up and, you know, that's another piece of the 10 minute thing is like I've got to grab a hold of it and make sure that I'm in the right mental state to take over the incident, you know. I've had a couple where you pull up and it's like right now because there's so much stuff going on. They need to go on rescues and, you know, everything's mobile and you're just like, okay, somebody's got to pull this in. But for the most part, most incidents we show up on, there's time to take a breath, You know, you're not taking minutes, but you're taking seconds to take a breath and and center yourself and focus yourself so you're completely present and understanding with what's going on.
1: I like to think the three of us here calmed the chaos for you before you got there. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. It's all all
2: about you. (laughs) Well, I think too, you know, it's okay to, you give your size up, and I think the, if you're not 100% sure what you're gonna do about it, it's okay to say that. Hey, companies stand by for an assignment. We do a 360. You know, I think there's, you know, we should really have, you know, one of the things that we always talked about with, with we gave expectations to every firefighter, everybody who bid in. One of the things that we always talked about was don't go in without a 360. And really what that meant was like the fourth class firefighter's not doing a 360. The the nozzle's not doing a 360, but he and I are. And you should know, you should listen to what I broadcast is what's on the backside of that building. And I think it's okay to, To take that second to say, "Hey, this is a working fire," but I don't know how we're going to attack it, search it, and vent it yet. So, just take a breath, like you said, and I'll get to it in a second. (laughs) Well,
0: that's what uh, what we've been harping on the past couple years out here in training is tell people to stage, give them something to do. Yeah, you know, and then they should all strategically locate locate themselves so they have access to all sides of the building. And give that officer the the time to, you know, create that plan and then implement it. Um, in the past, we had the Roddy Bartlett's and, you know, guys that would block the driveway. So the officer just had that little bit little bit of time to create that plan. Well, we don't necessarily have that anymore, but if we respect each other enough to, to honor the, the you know, the commitment to staging, like, hey, I asked you to stage, then I'm going to stage, you know, and now he'll call me in when he's ready in the order that he wants me, you know. Yeah and we'll have a good plan going forward.
1: Yeah, and that's more important than ever. You look at the speed that our firefighters are performing tasks at right now, and they're getting it done so fast. It's like, I need you to give me time. I need you to have patience, you know, have discipline and have trust in me that I'm gonna get you in the right door, you know, at the right time, you know, with the right hose line, but give me a second to get a 360, you know?
2: yeah that's like you said have the discipline yeah. just have to have the discipline to, to and I think that one of the, the best parts of that is that because we're so fast with with hose lines being deployed that uh, you know when we tell someone shoulder your stretch or hold your stretch you know I think that the, the guys who are normally sitting in that seat folks who are normally sitting in that seat they're very good at doing that and just listening to the radio and just mm-hmm. saying I'm going to listen to where I mean if we pull up and you look and hey it's a fire in the third floor of a Center hallway apartment and the door's right there, we're gonna go there. There's no reason for me to sure. to hold you know, to get in position and, and get your line up there. But I mean there's times you pull up to a fire where you're like, Well, I don't really know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's in the basement. Mm-hmm. I don't know where it is, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and not and making sure that we commit that first hose line to the right right okay. spot. You know, as as the first line goes, so does the fire, as sure. we all say. So
1: Especially when you're looking at kind of a, it's a, the downtown area and our balloon frame homes, you pull yeah. up and you got, you know, a fire up on a third floor, or a half story up above. Yeah. You know, before we commit up there, did we clear the basement? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. So just yeah, taking that time to make sure we're making good decisions. Sure. Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to bring up, and it's one thing that I've been
0: guilty of, but I'm interested to hear your, all your ideas on this. <coughs> and let's start with Brian um can there be an overthinking firefighter
2: yeah absolutely (laughs) i think that that uh what they call it like um uh analysis paralysis Paralysis. yeah Mm -hmm. you know and i look at it from that perspective that like sometimes you see people that they want to know all the specific minute details of what's happening Mm -hmm. and i'll go back to this when i was testing for for um fire departments after I had been hired. I was working. I was a, a firefighter at Stratmore Hills and I had tested and I'd gone around to a, bu- a few different cities that I thought I might want to work for. And I made it to the chief's interview in this one one department. And um, I was sitting in this old, it would, I think was the old training division. And they had since moved to a newer building, but they were doing these interviews in this in this building. And, and I was sitting across from what uh, I think was the training training officer's office and there wasn't anything in there but like an old desk and an old chair that we were empty and the whole office was empty. There was a file cabinet, a couple of the, the drawers were kind of open, like it just, you know, taken everything and kinda of like time it forgot it, right? And on the door there was two bumper stickers and one of them was like from a radio station. And the other one um, said firefighting is an exact science and then, you know, the dot 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 and it said based on wild ass guesses. <laughs> and I remember thinking like you know, it wasn't very profound to me at the time, but now when I come back, I'm like, yeah, that's, uh, you know, 20 some years later, I'm like, well, that's spot on. Yeah, it good. is, it's an exact science, and we're just going, well, I think. I think the fire's in there, or I think that this is the door we should go into. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we do that by, you know, that, I guess that quick subconscious analysis, but at the same time, there's no, absolutely no guarantee, and we can't search for one. And the longer we're delaying searching for one, the longer we're going, well, maybe, maybe, maybe the, the worst conditions are going to be inside for anybody who's in there.
3: And the harder it's going to be for us to, to mitigate it. So.
0: Right. so what do you think? Uh, I,
3: I guess I'll just take it from the perspective of the task level as far as being an overthinking firefighter. But mm-hmm. I, I think it does go back to that conscious versus subconscious. I'm sure we've all had experiences where, whether it's in training or it's on the fire ground, you make one mistake, and then now you're thinking about every single other thing that you're doing. You know, and I saw this firsthand. Uh, you know, I've seen it in testing processes. You know, one person makes one mistake, and now they're overthinking everything that they already know how to do. So I think it ultimately boils down to that: train then trust. Uh, you know, if I went onto the fire ground and I'm thinking, how do I even throw a ladder, and then now how do I actually do this, and how do I force this door? Like all of a sudden, I'm not going to be doing a very good job. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I think overthinking is really just trying to be too conscious when you need to rely a little bit more on being subconscious and trusting in your training. Sure. There's a time and a place for
1: overthinking and on the fire ground is not, is not the time or place. Right, right. You know, sitting at the kitchen table, yeah. That's I mean, we can, we can overthink this, we can pick it apart, we can look at it 50 different ways and there's nothing wrong with that. But when it comes to doing the job and getting a task completed, we, I think as an industry, can get in the weeds way too, you know, way too much, way too far, you know, and, and it's kind of. I think Lynn, she said something earlier. Um, you know, this this job is we can we can make it, we can simplify it. And when you say attack it, search it, vent it, um, like earlier on, you know, as a lieutenant, you're the one that made some of my thought process easier because i was i was that lieutenant that i tried to think of every different thing that was going to happen on this fire and every different tool that i could throw at it but when you break that down and go okay we're going to attack this fire you know what's my options not a whole lot yeah you know and and we're going to search it and we're going to vent it you know and then everything else after that is kind of icing on the cake yeah you know making sure you know, that we have all the right resources coming and we know what those things are in each rank, you know, we have just a bigger picture of what resources we have available to us. So yes, I I think that there is definitely um, some overthinking that happens. Um, I don't wanna see it necessarily on the incident, but I think there is a time and a place for it. Mm Yeah, I think
2: not like this. Certainly not like the first arriving companies. You know, as a first do co- company officer, we pull up and I'm just looking so on. hey, I think I'm going to, I think this, yeah. you know, but as a later arriving company officer, you know, and we've had this discussion before, I show up and if we're just sitting there, uh, we had, I had, a, I had a fire just the other night where engine eight was on scene first and, and um, they had stretched the line, they got the fire, they were getting the fire knocked down. And for me, that's the point to where I stop and take a step back and I just say, okay, are we hitting everything we're supposed to be hitting now? Well, this, you know, what do I see from the backside? Is it matching up from the front? And maybe to be a little bit more analytical then and yeah. be not overthinking. But but maybe to that point, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, as the first arriving companies, you know, we have a fairly scripted, yeah. right, you know, uh, uh, playbook. And I think we, we
3: stick to that because it's successful. Yeah. I think what you're really hitting on in this is kind of the the key point here is time. You know, what's the time component involved? And if if it needs to happen right now, that's like, you can't, there's no time to overthink stuff, right? Versus, I think a lot about like hazmat. You know, hazmats. those are the types of incidents where overthinking is pretty important. You know, you're doing a bunch of research, you know, you're really looking into a chemical, like you have the time to think about those things, but you don't really have that on a structure fire, at least for the first five minutes, you know?
1: You know who the the first in overthinkers should be? Is the first in dedicated Rick crew. Yeah. You know, they're the ones that better step back and really analyze this thing and go, okay, this is what we're doing right now. Right. Yeah. You know, outside of the IC and and company officers that are, um, you know, kind of in charge of task level, um, or some of the strategic level things, but
2: but even the IC, you know, I mean, even the chief, the first two chief to a a fire is probably. I mean, they're not in a a great position to really overanalyze it. Right. You know, they're still in that sort of you know we're 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 cause and effect based on on you know through that incident command system and so i I agree with you i think that that the first the rig company officer you show up it is your job just to say all right the three of you on the rig you're going to throw ladders and you know make doors openable and soften the building but I'm gonna take a a few laps around this and really see what's happening and what we're doing Mm -hmm. and where our problems are are likely to be here in the next five minutes, you know?
1: Is it fair to call the rescue program the overthinkers then? Sure. Can we do that? Sure. Well,
2: they are ready for anything.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, the the times that I've been caught um, at incidents that don't go as well as I want them is because I create a plan that's more complex than it needs to be. Yeah. And you brought this up, and, and I totally agree with it, is that I probably had too much time to think about it. So I started adding components and layers and things that didn't need to be there. If I would just put a plan in place that addressed the things that I need to address, you know, when we talk about doing a 360 and you're defining your problems, just define the problems and just apply resources to them that can to do the tasks that need to be done and just let it be rather than creating something so complicated that it's almost doomed to fail. Like, military leaders talk about that. The, you know, the, the strategies and the plans that they create for combat that are more complex are almost doomed to fail. You know, because something, more things are apt to go wrong, which other things are dependent on, so keep it really simple and, and you'll be better off. But I, I've, I've been caught overthinking multiple times, so I agree, there are overthinking firefighters, and again, we train we train to to have them create the simplest solution to the problem that's in front of them. Um, I want to talk about who decides that this should be a thinking organization. Because before this conversation, I would have said, you know, it's a cultural thing. We don't have anything uh, in our TAC ops. We don't have anything in our SOPs that say, hey, you will be a thinking firefighter. You say we're very scripted. We are to a point, right? Um, but we're not like, say, a Denver or an Austin yeah. where they show up and you do the same thing every time. And you tell a story in one of your classes where you're in a car w- during the memorial, oh, yeah. right? And the firefighter says, nope, I put a hole in the roof.
2: Yeah.
0: Every single time. Well, what about a basement fire? Well, I put a hole in the roof every single time. Yeah. That To me, that's scripting, right? Yeah. We have certain functions or, or tasks that we want completed at, at, at the beginning, but when they get completed and by who is it necessarily okay. scripted?
2: No, and I, when I say I, we're scripted, I think we're scripted in a good way. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're not so... You're so personally scripted. Like, you have yeah. your own system. Yeah, you have your we, own system. we yeah. all have our own. But even collectively as a, you know, we know the first in yeah. engine's gonna do this, the second engine's gonna, you know, do this, and mm-hmm. the first in truck does this. So we have, but there's a lot of uh, variables that we consider and that we, that, that change the small little kind of micro decisions right. mm-hmm. within that. Right? Um, But, yeah, I think that we're not, you know, certainly I would never want to be put in a situation where we, you know, hey, I I vent the roof every time. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, why? Well, because that's 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 the the cultural
0: thing, right? Yeah. And so I was talking to Josh yesterday and he really brought up a point that said, you know, maybe we're we have to be thinking firefighters simply because of the resources we have here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so you, maybe you had to be even more of a thinking firefighter at Stratmore because you had a finite number of resources so you had to be the, the jack of all trades and think about a lot of different things. Where New York throws so many resources at, they can, I'm the can man, I take the can every single time and I go do I do this, 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 and every single fire. Yeah. Um, so m- how much of this is, is driven by the resources we have, and how much of that is as a culture we've embraced it and said this is what we wanna be as an organization because it really puts us among the better fire departments in the country.
2: Well, I think like, you know, that's probably very apt. Like we're, 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 we do what we do because uh, we're, you know, culturally we do what we do because the resources that we have. Um, And we had this discussion before with, um, you know, talking about the the first two truck company being, you know, all all four into search, which is a operational change for us from in the past, the last, Mm -hmm. you know, 20, 20, 25 years or whatever. But one of the things that gets brought up is, is the reason we split our first two truck. And the reason we have irons and ladders on our first two truck is because we've only got, you know, six of them or seven of them in the city. And so, the The first due truck might be you know two minutes away, three minutes away, but the second due truck might be seven or eight minutes away. So when you rely on on that second truck to, to perform some essential fire ground stuff, then you know it may not get done mm-hmm. um, so I think that that's that when we start to look at our resources, I think it definitely plays into what we can and can not do. I mean I think about you know my time at Stratmore when Ian and I were down there. There was two of us on a pumper yeah. so we'd pull up to a, fi- a house on fire and we always laid in because we didn't know when we knew that the second the, the second group of firefighters coming was either going to be volunteers but they had to get the call uh, you know drive to the fire station get their gear on get on the rig and come come to the fire which you know if they were there inside of 10 minutes that was that was fast you know mm-hmm. and it, likely they were you know 15 minutes out same thing with mutual aid companies. You know, so it was really we had a system. You know, Ian and I had a system that we worked in. And what we did every time is, you know, I if I was driving that day and he was the officer, then he would hop out and wrap the hydrant and and send me. I'd pull up to the scene, give a quick size up, which usually consisted of yeah, there's a house on fire <laughs> and uh, you know, Ian would uh, I'd plug the hose into the to the rig and Ian would charge it and then I'd grab a hook and do a 360 and break out, you know, this is the 90s so it's like yeah, when ventilation right. was cool right yeah. so we break out a bunch of windows and then um it, yeah hopefully by the time i got done doing that ian had the line to the front door and he we would go in he was the nozzle i was the heel and when we got the fire knocked down then uh, you know he would open up that area and ventilate that immediate area and i would search the rest of the building and that was our system and that was every you know the debu- all the shifts down there that's how we had to work it and how we had to operate mm-hmm. because you know, that's, we had two of us, yeah, yeah. you know. Whereas here, I remember the first fire I was on here, I'm like, why are all these people here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is a room and Contents fire, and there's, you know, 30 people milling around. Mm-hmm. Some guy has meters, and some guy's, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was, I, I don't know.
1: I know I, you do, too. I, I get the opportunity to, to talk to a lot of the mm-hmm. um, people that work at some of the smaller departments around us, and I hear stories about people pulling up on, like a pediatric arrest with one person and they're waiting for, you know, the (coughs) volunteers to arrive and things like that. I'm like, you want to talk about a thinking firefighter? Like, or multitasking or like how many things you can do correctly at one time? It's like, you better plan your tasks right, you know, make sure you got the right resources coming and make sure that you're starting CPR and, you know, all all those, um, all the things that have to take place, where we don't have to think at that level You know, but then we're also not New York or L.A. City. Like, you look at a four vent for us, and you see four, maybe eight guys up on a roof. You know, if we've created a roof division, and we need that, and we're ahead of the game. You look at a picture of L.A. City working on a flat roof, and you got 16 people up there. You know, and each one of those people has a defined task that they're doing, where when we're up on the roof with four people, it's like, okay, this one person is accomplishing the tasks of two or three people.
3: Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, first of all, I I think the resources are a benefit in a sense that, you know, we kind of already know how pieces are going to fall into play. But I also think, you know, we, depending on where you're working in the city with how much urban sprawl we have and some of the stations that we have, that might dictate how you're thinking about your scenes, too. I mean, we have the luxury in, you know, Battalion 2 of having, you know, multiple rigs on scene with us right away. So our comfort level of performing a quick attack is probably way higher than somebody who's working at Station 22. So Mm -hmm. I still think there's this component of habitual learning and kind of putting yourself in the shoes of your specific district, although we have all these resources available to us because it can change. And I think it can even change with who's on the rig, you know, down the street from you too. You know, they might be working differently than you would expect them to. So taking all those components into play as well is is important. Well, you talk
2: about being a company officer, one one of the things I do in the morning, you know, is is when I look at staffing, I
3: also look at the sister
2: companies. And, you know, who do we have? We have a a ship in, uh, a firefighter, we have an acting officer that never gets to act very often and they're at engine 23 today or engine eight today, whatever it may be. But that plays in my mind, you know, and and because I have to look at that and say, well, I might have to, you know, a guy's a little unfamiliar with the seat, just like I was when I first started and relying on people saying, no, 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 don't do that or do this or whatever it may be. So I think it's incumbent upon on yeah. um, you know even like as a driver looking and going hey I've got a relief driver on his third shift right. driving at the next engine you know driving the next station over so they get a work and fire I'm just gonna make sure that they're they're good. They're, they're good yeah make sure yeah, yeah exactly and yeah. I think that that's you know if we t- take our ego and we just check it and just say hey we need that right we need to be able to say hey I need I need you to just you know <laughs> yeah. check in with me every now and then or I'm not checking in with you because I don't trust you. I just want to make sure you're good, you know, Mm -hmm.
1: not not to mention technology allows us to make some of these operational changes as well. I mean, if you just look at GTAC, you know, 20 years ago, first in company officer, you didn't have the same information that we have right now. So to be able to make that decision of do I need to lay lines in or do I need to um, set up a different type of water supply where now I can look at a computer and go, okay, I've got twos and threes right behind me. That's gonna change my decision-making yeah. process on this fire. Yeah. So I think technology plays into kind of our thought process now you know, more than more than ever. Oh,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Is there a cultural component though? Because what if we as a culture decided not to embrace the thinking firefighter thing?
3: That'd be tragic. You know, I mean, I feel like, um, I feel like we should all strive to be professional learners, mm-hmm. you know, as much as we're professional fighter, firefighters we're professional learners, too. Mm-hmm. And I think it's been demonstrated, you, know, you might have people who, you know they both come on together, they both go through the same academy. One person's a professional learner, one person isn't, and they're going to have a totally different career experience. They're gonna have, the person who's a professional learner is going to have greater success on the fire ground, going to have greater, greater success, probably just in everyday life at work. <laughs> You know, and then the, the, same, the person who came on with them, who has the same capability of being successful, if they chose not to be a professional learner, chose not to make some of this stuff habitual, um, chose not to develop that subconscious and con- conscious thought, when the time comes for a critical incident, they're not going to perform the way that you would hope they would. You know, and they're not going to make the same decisions in the way that you would hope they would. So I think that we do have a strong culture of learning. I think we have all of the resources uh, to be effective and, and be good on the fire ground in everyday life, but ultimately it boils down to individually, all of us having a culture of being habitual.
2: Mm-hmm. I think there's grassroot change uh, that's occurred in our organization. And I think that, that those cultural changes, you know, you can have cultural changes, I think, that come from the, from the, the top down. You know, we get a new fire chief and, and the chief comes in and says, well, I want you to do this. And so we all do this, right? But then the next fire chief comes in you know, two years later and he says, I want you to do that. So we all switch and we all do that. And that's like immediate change, but there's really no lasting to it, right? Yeah. But I look at like, just look at our change and, um, and I'll use Ryan Royal and Nick Chappell uh, as an example with forcible entry, the stuff that they started you know, 13, 14 years ago, uh, based out of, of you know, a, a failure on our organization. And the lack of, of, of our, our, our lack of ability to get behind a door really drove a grassroots change in our organization to where if you look at forcible entry now, like I look at the guys when they come out of the fire academy and there's a there's a door prop at every fire station. If I ask anybody to go force a door right now that's that's come on in the last you know, 10, 12 years, they're just on it and they have a process and a system mm-hmm. and that's cultural change. So that is that cultural thinking firefighter coming into play. And some of it maybe is the, the, we think about the morning size up stuff and you see that kind of spreading now to where you're seeing a bunch of different companies talking about that, you know? And I think it should be noted, like it's not just fire stuff. Like, you know, my biggest weakness when I, I remember thinking, well, when I was a new lieutenant, I'm down at Station 1, and I'm like, well, I probably won't go to a grass fire, you know, down in, down here. Mm-hmm. If I do, it's like Acacia Park. I think I got that one, you know. But then we got moved up to Station 5 one day, and I'm like, huh, well, it's kind of me, and I'm going to be the mm-hmm. one making decisions, and I have little to no idea what to do. right or hazmat to where i think that that has to be an integral part of everything that everything that you do it's not just apartment fires or house fires it's hey there's a tanker pulled up on turned over on the side of the road or there's a you know a fire in december up on the side of the hill and it's creeping towards houses and you're the first two company officer make some decisions and so i guess my
0: yeah that's that's an important piece, you know we, we talk a lot about fire because it's what we mm-hmm. do. We're a fire department, but we're an all hazards all all risk yeah. fire department. So there's a bunch of things that we do and there's a bunch of things that we got to be good at. How do we take that mantra of hey, we're all risk, we're all hazards and transfer it to the team because I can't be great at everything, right? I can't be great at ropes and structure fires and hazmats, and you know, what is it that we can do to capitalize on the people that may have a different skill set on, on my team, even though I'm the company officer, you know, how do I capitalize on that, that different set of skills that is gonna cause us to be successful in this all-risk environment?
2: Check your ego. Yeah. Totally. Put your ego down and put it aside. I can tell you right now, my go-to plan, like we pull up to a hazmat incident, my go-to plan is to go, "Hey John, what do you think we should do?" Yeah, because you're in the program for this many years. I have a pretty good idea, or yeah. even just say, "Here's my plan." What do you think? Uh, what do you yeah. think? You know, I mean, I think we were we've been on some, um, you know, just very minor hazmat calls where I'm like, "Hey." Walk me through what, you know, this is what I'm thinking. And, well, no, don't do that, but do this. And this is what we need. And tell Hazmat we're going to need this from them, or whatever it might be. And those are all moments where you just have to look at it and say, I'm not the SME here. I'm not the smartest guy in the room when it comes to this, so let's let that guy make decisions. You know, you got a high-angle guy on your crew, and you have a rope rescue. Well, that should be the person that starts to, to to, run and dictate that. I think the best part of being, I don't remember where I saw this quote, but it said, the, but you know, the most integral part of leadership is finding the right people and putting them in a, in the position to succeed and getting out of their way
1: you have to be a talent scout
2: yes a talent scout yep. perfect right
1: yeah i i think um for me it's the leadership at any level needs to be <coughs> willing to accept I, I use the word failure but you know um um that things are not always gonna go correctly. Mm -hmm. And and I guess my my example would be, um, I'm sure there's company officers out there right now that don't want to make a decision that steps outside of what policy says. Mm -hmm. You know, If it says it inside a policy, this is what I do every time. But we work in a world that's that's very gray. And, And yes, policy is there for a reason, and we should follow that as closely as possible. But sometimes policy doesn't answer the right question or give us the right answer. You know, sometimes we have to look at what the mission, the vision, values of the organization, what leader's intent is, and then interpret interpret that as a a leader and go, okay, policy doesn't fix this problem, but leader's intent says I should do this. That gives me some flexibility. So I think when you look at the leadership positions and from the top down, the top down has to go, it's okay you know sometimes you're not gonna you know knock it out of the park Mm -hmm. and um and there has to be a a level of of forgiveness to a point you know not without not without consequences i mean i think there's you know should be consequences when there's problems or things happen Mm -hmm. but you know there's a difference in and spilled milk of, of somebody knocking the glass off the table mm-hmm. and somebody accidentally bumping it off the table. Yeah. And it's like, okay, those are two completely different things. So leniency, I think it's. Leniency, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, leniency would well, be a good. And I guess I'll use
0: um, IRIC yeah. as the example because I think we're good as an organization saying, hey, here's your guidelines. If you need to step out of the guidelines, just justify it. Yeah. So yeah. the to me, is the easy example. Well, we show up, mom comes running to me and says, two of my family members are still in the, still in the building, we've got we've to forego IREC, we're going to let everybody know and we're going to make this decision, however, everybody's standing out front saying the building's empty, it's just on fire, there's nothing there, and we forego IREC, we probably don't have justification for that, mm-hmm. for stepping outside that, 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 that requirement that we have. So,
2: I think part of knowing and understanding policy procedure is knowing when it doesn't apply. Yeah. You know, knowing when you can say, hey, I'm not, this is, this doesn't work here. Yeah. Like well, you said. Well, so we're
1: trying, the not always and never, but the... Um,
3: the Should sh- no, no. uh, and shall? Uh, sometimes and maybe.
2: Sometimes and usually. and rarely. Usually and, right? and yeah. rarely? Yeah. Usually yeah. and
1: rarely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I yeah. It's, it's a great opportunity to get away from the if we're always or we're never. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I
2: mean, usually we have IRIC set up on the fire. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. But there are times when we just say, no, we don't. And I actually think, uh, you know, Hollis Stanley is acting uh, lieutenant at Station 1. We just had a fire recently with them where he said, hey, we don't have IRIC right now because we don't have Rick or IRIC set up because we have every company working because of the scenario, of the situation. And it was very, very apt. Mm-hmm. And very easy to justify, yeah. you know, and I think about that from the from that perspective, just knowing, sure. you know, even as an acting company officer, saying, hey, I just didn't set it up because I didn't have enough resources to and I needed people to do this. Right. Yep.
0: Yeah. You know? It's the, like I've always told you guys, is yeah. when I come to you and say, hey, why did you do this? It's outside of policy. Yeah. And, and you go, this is the reason. Mm-hmm. Okay, sounds good. It's when you go, um, I don't know, I didn't really think about it. Yeah. Th- that's when we have issues, right? Yeah. right. Of course. So last thing I wanna touch on before we go is what role does trust between all of us play in being a thinking firefighter and and critically um, allow us to function as a thinking fire department of of a group of thinking firefighters? So let's talk a little bit about trust.
1: Yeah, I would say trust is the foundation for all of it. You know, it's the glue that holds it, more of the glue that holds it together, maybe not the foundation, but Mm kind of what puts everything together. We can't do this job without having trust in each other, you know, whether it's um, team member to team member or um, you know, subordinate to boss, um, you know, at each one of those levels, you know, and trust just doesn't happen overnight. You don't, I don't just walk up to, you know, you know, John Roy and go, I trust you. You know, I have trust in John Roy because we've put the, you know, say blood, sweat, and tears in to build that trust and and make our What's well, a lot of, a lot tears. of tears. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not a lot of blood, no. you know. A lot of sweat. A lot of sweat, sweat yeah. Probably a lot of tears, yeah. Yeah. you know, but we you know, put the effort in, we put the work in to to build the trust. And I look back at the teams that I've been on throughout the military and in my fire service career, and the teams that I've had the most trust in are the ones that I've worked the hardest with or I've suffered the most with. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean that team that You know back in the army when we spent an entire night you know without the right cold weather gear freezing all night long but still doing a job and we all did it and we got through it together that was a level of trust that was built within that group and so it wasn't just that i knew that that person was capable of performing a task or doing the job but i knew that that person was going to be there for us as a team and uh, so I, i think trust Garcia talked about it in his in his uh, retirement letter Mm -hmm. like how big a trust is so I mean it's a huge part of what we do
0: what do you think John
3: yeah I mean I think trust drives pretty much every decision that we make or we don't make as a team Mm -hmm. and you know to piggyback off of what you said trust is earned you know and Mm -hmm. the reality of our job is that structure fires are high risk you know, low-frequency events, so how do we cultivate trust when we're not actually on a structure fire? And I think it's all the things that we've talked about, in particular, the ability to sit down as a crew and tabletop uh, those critical incidents. And it pays dividends on the back end, and that, that I think this is a good opportunity to talk about that structure fire, at Stratus. Um, we had a structure fire in last, last summer on Engine 8. It was me, Lynch, uh, Kent Smith, and then our fourth class, Mike Dodson, who has since left us. Um, we turned out of the station on airport heading east and we were on a medical call and we saw a header. So, you know, un- unprepared to really get ourselves in the mindset, I guess, <coughs> of being on a structure fire, but it wasn't necessarily a shock, right? We turn the corner, we see a, a header, it's a structure fire. So we get our gear on and in route, we're-, we're already talking about, you know, what we're thinking, where we're gonna turn in, where we're gonna access it, talk about water supply. We go to turn into the uh, the complex, and there's two entrances to the Stratus. There's one on the one-off airport on the east side, or excuse me, the west side, and there's one on the east side on Murray, and we took the west entrance, because we couldn't really figure out exactly where the structure fire was. The moment of trust came in where we don't know exactly where this fire is, so Lynch jumps out of the rig, It wasn't moving. I was stopped. He jumps (laughs) out of the rig (laughs) uh, and says, hey, I'm going to check out this courtyard and see where the fire is, and either you're going to stay here or you're going to go. And he visualized where the fire was and it was nowhere close enough for us to set up where we were. So he said, okay, you're going. Immediately, we had some established trust there because I had to basically drive around the entire complex, park in a, a good spot, make a determination as to whether we're going to do a quick attack or whether we're going to try to find a water supply. And then now Kent's stretching his hose line, you know, locating the fire, picking the best stretch for that situ- situation. And you know we were in the fight pretty quickly. But that separation between the officer and the rest of the crew you know, showed a, a great deal of trust. And I don't think that that trust, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know if you would have had the same level of trust if we hadn't earned that or established that on the front end.
2: No, probably not. And I think about that. A lot. I mean, we worked, we worked together, trained together for not, you know, even at the time, you know, Kent and I hadn't worked together very long, right. but we had trained so much together. You and I had worked together for a, for a while. So um, when we pulled up to that, not not being able to tell which entrance to take, and then you know, as soon as I got out of the rig and I got about 30 feet away, I immediately realized, like, well, at least this parking lot that we're in right now is definitely wrong, and then. You know 13 miles later when I got <laughs> to the to the building that was on fire but I do remember just looking and I pointed and yeah. and you looked at me and just kind of I, I pointed to the driveway and I said the you know furthest here and you just looked at me and kind of okay and I knew like well he's going to get there yeah. you know eventually yeah. so uh, I think that when you when you talk about trust in that regard I didn't really have any reservations about doing right. that and to me that's a good thing right. because that means our crew is, is cohesive yeah. and, and we knew and understood kind of what the role the expectations were and To be honest with you i didn't give any direction once once we got there right you know i mean and if you look at the helmet camera footage from that i think it's less than it's less than two minutes from the time you pulled the air brake until we were inside that apartment that 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 kent and mike michael paul dotson were putting water on that fire and had that fire knocked down right and so while there was a delay up front um you know we we goes maybe to what we were talking about before how fast we are now right but i think that that was all built built on and all predicated on trust yeah and i look at that from a company officer standpoint if you're not building that within your own crew Mm -hmm. and if you're not setting people up for success and building that trust then there will be a breakdown sometime and and there will be a, a a point where where you put people in a situation that they're either not ready for not prepared for um and don't know how to handle right
0: I think, from the battalion chief perspective, it it goes because we are so disconnected yeah. from the task level of the job. The trust comes in as I need to trust you guys to choose the right task or tactic to accomplish the, the, the yeah. task at hand or the the job at hand. So, for example, and one that comes up that we've all talked about, you know, in this room is, you know, I need to to under I need you to understand not only when to ventilate the building, but also when not to. <laughs> and I have to have that trust in you to do it because on the end of it, if you choose the wrong type of ventilation, I either have to explain to a property owner why you did it, because there's no fire or smoke around, or something dramatic could happen, chaotic could happen that could cause injury to firefighters because the cause and effect wasn't understood. Um, And so, in talking about this, I talked to Chief Colas, and he said, you know, you should always choose actions based on need, not on opportunity. So just because I have an opportunity to kick the door in doesn't mean I need to do it. And so, we always went through the lock. Like, it tends, we all got the through the lock tools, and if we had the opportunity based on time, which was what John talked about, we would go through the lock because it caused less damage than just kicking through the door there's a time to kick in the door but there's a time not to and and I think folks have to recognize both Mm -hmm. and we have to trust each other that we're going to choose the right one
2: yeah I mean I think from you put a tremendous amount of trust in the company officers to make decisions Mm -hmm. but I think with that comes you know as a battalion chief like you know you I think it's incumbent upon that rank to with the company officers, and that's why we always say, like, hey, come come up for mm-hmm. come up for the morning size up and let's yeah. talk about some stuff. And and you know, we do that at Station 8 now with Chief Birdie comes in and then we'll talk about stuff. So we we do build that trust and so we have an idea of what we're going to what we're gonna do and go out and train in the district together, so we yeah. do walk buildings together, so we we do look at that and say, This is how we're gonna attack this fire. It shouldn't be a surprise, you know. Yeah. And I go back to that that saying of you know the I think Andy Fredericks has attributed to it, that the the garbage man doesn't turn the corner on trash day and see a bunch of trash cans lined up on the side of the street and be like, I don't know what to do here. Where did this come from? Yeah, they're expecting that, right? Uh We should expect that when we show up, hey, we know how to handle this situation. Should have thought about it beforehand. Sure. All right, let's
0: wrap this up. It's been a good good hour at least. Um, It's been a great conversation. I appreciate you guys coming in. Is there anything you guys like to add that we, we didn't talk about? Anything um, I could have done better, should have done better, didn't nope. say, should have said?
3: No, oh, I thought it was good. That yeah, it was fun. I like yeah. talking about this no, stuff. This is, this
1: is the conversation that needs to be happening yeah. you know, at every kitchen table, at every firehouse. And, and you know, <laughs> going back to trust, it's like you have to have the trust in your boss or your crew to have the conversation and speak your mind and go, this is what I would do, or this is what I would not do. Um, If you don't have that trust there, then you're not gonna have the conversation. You're not gonna get to this point. So yeah, I just, you know, and this is kind of the early stages of this podcast, but I think this is a great way for us to kind of kick this thing off and and put this out into the fire stations. and, and, And hopefully this encourages very similar conversations, and I wish we could capture them all, yeah. you know, and, and, and just kind of start down this process of, of uh, kind of building these relationships.
3: Yeah, I guess I do have one, one last thing. So, sure. you know, the last time we met, just to kind of prepare for this, we talked about wrapping up with action. You know, what's an action that you can take to start cultivating this idea of being mm-hmm. a thinking firefighter? And I think, You know, we've touched on two big things. The first thing would be every single fire station in the city can sit down as a crew and go to YouTube and pull up a structure fire, whether it's a commercial or residential fire, every morning and size it up and talk about, you know, what you're thinking in in your capacity. And then I think the second thing, too, is, you know, with those critical skills, if there's something for you that's not habitual and that you can't switch to the subconscious, like, Mm -hmm. that's probably what you should be working on in the near future. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, thanks, guys. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to the interview about Thinking Firefighter. Uh, we'd like to thank Lieutenant Lynch, Driver Engineer Roy for coming down and participating with us. Great conversation. Uh, I learned a lot about what a Thinking Firefighter was. I kind of, and that's now more well-defined than it was was to me in the past. And And I can think about the role that I'm in in the training division and how I can help, you know, those in the fire department become Thinking Firefighters.
1: It's also, for me, it really um, helped me understand that the becoming a thinking firefighter, there's, it, there's not really an end to it. You know, it's going to be a continual process, you know, whether it be the rank that we're in or uh, the needs of the organization. Um, you know, it's going to be something that we need to continue this conversation throughout our careers and not just say, I want to be this or I want you to be this, but it's a practice. Um, that we're going to have to um, really work hard to live up to. And, and and that's okay. You know, that's one of those um, hardworking things that play dividends. Sure. And the, the administration we have now has
0: liked to create or has tried to create a learning environment for our fire department. They want to be a learning organization. And those are the words that, you know, Chief Colas, Chief Dubé, and Chief Royal have used in the past. And we have means... Uh, within the organization within the city uh, education tuition reimbursement we send people to conferences Uh, we're very open about applying new things that people bring back to us you know and adapting our TAC ops and our our policies and procedures based on new new techniques new methods of, of being better at our job being safer at our job so the idea of being a learning organization is something uh, this administration would like to permeate throughout, but it goes hand in hand with being a thinking firefighter. In that, you educate yourself through courses, through information that you find on the internet, by going to conferences, uh, going to schools, uh, but you got to come back here and put it into practice. And we don't necessarily want practice on a station to station basis. If you find a new way to uh, a new and better way to do things the whole department should do it. We don't want just one or two stations and on a couple different shifts doing specific things. But if it's that good, then that's something we should share with everybody. So we're all speaking the same language. We're all doing the same thing. and once we've got the education, we've got to come back here and we've got to practice those skills because without the practice, the skills go away and it just becomes another thing, right? Yeah. Um, so you're right. It is a lifelong thing. We should be lifelong learners, educate ourselves, and then practice those skills uh, so we can get better at them and
1: maintain them moving forward. Yeah. I, cool thing about that right now is so we have the uh, administrative side that is 100% on board that wants us to continue to learn. And the very cool side of this is we've got a young, hungry organization out there. And they're hungry for information. They're hungry for training. They're hungry for, you know, the education and wanting to spread that information. Um, So when you take the technology that's out there, the group of people that we have on the organization and the leadership that's running it, it's the perfect storm to make us progress very rapidly and efficiently sure and we were at station eight josh and i were at station eight a couple
0: couple days ago talking to the group about canal reports and and that's how that's changing and we we talked about um, this department's ability to come to the training division to get the training that they need and i want to express how important it is that the folks out on the line who are in it day in day out who know the weaknesses who know what they want to get better on, what they need to get better on, that they bring that back to the training division because we're stuck in our silo here. We're not out on the alarms. We don't sit at your kitchen table necessarily all the time. So we don't know what you need and we won't know what you need until you bring it to us. So please submit your, what training you need. Please submit topics for this, this program. Um, we're, we're having a really good time doing that. We're hoping that you're having a good time listening. Um, but come to us. Make the fire department our training division, not just the training division in and of itself. Trying to do everything, we don't have the people to do that. So we need your help to to bring that to us. Yeah,
1: I think it was, it might have been Josh Talbot that said this the first time that I heard it. That it really, um, it made a lot of sense to me. It's what you mentioned earlier, Chief. Is the words that he used were a lot of what we have. A lot of our skills are perishable. We have perishable skills, and I don't think that we always recognize that until it's too late. Um, and so, you know, these conversations that we're having, the thinking firefighter, the ones that are going on in, in, the, in the firehouses, are what are making us better and not allowing us to forget all those, all those little details of tasks that we used to perform. Um, so, you know, I think it's just a good reminder that the skills that we have are perishable. And we have to continue to uh, put the effort in to stay up on our skills and be the organization that we want to be or that we, that we say that we are. Well put. Thank you again for listening. We're gonna follow this up with Meet CSFD.
0: We're gonna do two this week. We're gonna do both Brian and John. So stick around, meet those two. We'll also do another Out the Door with some new music this week. Um, we'll put um, a credit to them before we play the music. It's all amateur musicians struggling to make a living. Uh, Free license for us. So we'd like to get their word out so we can use their music and you can enjoy it and you can go support those struggling artists. So thank you again, and we'll see you again soon. See you next time.
3: John Roy. I'm one of the two John Roys on the job. I've been on the job for eight years now. Uh, I was a firefighter for five years, or no, yeah, five years, and then I've been a driver now for three years. Uh, before working in the fire service, I worked for Wells Fargo as a mortgage specialist, so totally different career path, mm-hmm. you know, but I had family. My dad was on the police department here locally, and then obviously my uncle, so always kind of had aspirations of getting on the fire department. Got on super young. Uh, I've I think I've been on two opposite sides of the spectrum as far as the department goes between, you know, working at ones and eights and then also working in the HAZMAT program for four years and soon to go back to. Um, as far as my education goes, I have a bachelor's degree from UCCS and I'm currently working on my master's at uh, Arkansas State University. Go Red Wolves.
0: Go yeah. yeah. Red the, the fighting yeah. Red Wolves. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a question I would have for you is you went, obviously you got out of college, you went into the mortgage business. What drove you to the, f- the fire department? You know, especially over PD, since your dad was PD and your uncle's fire, what, what, what drew you here as opposed to staying in the private sector or becoming a cop?
3: Well, I'll, I guess that's a two-part question. So the private sector, I actually was in college as I was working at Wells Fargo. I got hired super young. I was 20 when I got hired. Um, And when I was working there, I didn't necessarily, I I enjoyed my job and I could see myself staying at that job for a while. But ultimately for me, I just knew that it was volatile. You know, and I think Mm -hmm. one of the things that we forget a lot of the times working in the public sector is we have that level of job security that a lot of jobs don't have. Coincidentally, I had left Wells Fargo like you know, And two or three weeks after leaving, a bunch of my, my friends got laid off uh, because they downsized the mortgage department in Colorado mm-hmm. Springs. So There was always that risk there. So staying in the private sector, I enjoyed it, it was a good experience for me, but I knew that ultimately that wasn't going to be a long-term plan for me. Mm-hmm. And then as far as why the fire department over the police department, um, if I'm being honest, my whole childhood I thought I was going to be a cop.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I was 18 years <coughs> old when I did my first ride along at Station 2 with my uncle. And I was like, wow, this is this is pretty cool, but I still applied to both jobs because I knew how competitive the fire department was. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, if I don't become a firefighter, at least I'm still gonna be a public servant. So I applied to both, got a job offer for the fire department, and then three weeks into the fire academy, I got a job offer for PD, mm-hmm. so. And you stuck with us. And I stuck with us. Well, we appreciate yeah.
0: it. Um, Brian, go ahead.
2: Uh, Brian Lynch, Lieutenant. Uh, I've been in the fire service for, uh 23 years um started started as a volunteer firefighter at uh stratmore hill small you know single firehouse combination fire department and uh just south of the city and uh worked there for as a volunteer for a few months and i got hired there and um worked there for a couple years and then applied here i think i applied here a couple times and applied to some other cities around the around the nation that i wanted to work at and then i I was fortunate to get hired here first, and uh, I've been here ever since. calling to move.